Let's turn in the scriptures to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, we read the whole chapter together. Call your attention to verses 4 through 6 as the text. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of dark, great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation They shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. We read the word of God that far. Call your attention to verses 4, 5, and 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth 
out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Scriptures reveal to us a God who who does wondrous things, a God who does miraculous things, and who delights to do things which we consider impossible. Time and time again, we read of these marvelous works of the Lord in Scripture. We read about Abraham and Sarah, through whom the Lord performed a miracle of conception and birth when they were both very old and after they had lived together in marriage for many years in barrenness. A miracle, a child, who would carry forward the torch of the hope of salvation for all the nations of the world. But the scriptures point us from the miraculous birth of Isaac forward to the future, to the most miraculous birth of all, the birth of Jesus Christ, whom God brought forth into the world in the womb of a virgin. As a choir of angels appeared in the dark night sky outside of Bethlehem and sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, and declared unto the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flock by night the glad tidings of great joy that would be unto all people that unto them was born that day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The scriptures reveal to us a God who does wonders. As we head into the Christmas season, the plan, Lord willing, is to consider some of the texts of the Old Testament, starting with this one, that direct our attention to God's wondrous work bringing forth into this world a child of wonder to bring righteousness into a world of darkness. We begin with this text. In this text, God spoke an amazing promise to Abraham. At this point in the narrative, he still goes by the name Abram, which was his birth name, but he would later be called Abraham because he will be the father of many nations. At this point in the narrative, if you go back to chapter 12, 13, and 14, you can see that God has already spoken many marvelous promises to Abraham. He has already promised to make of him a great nation, to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him, to give to him and to his seed after him the entirety of the land of Canaan, as a free inheritance, 
and to multiply his seed as the dust of the earth. Abraham already had all those promises. But at this point in the narrative, Abraham is in his 80s. When he first came into the land of Canaan, he was 75. So time is passing, the years are passing, and although he's received these promises, he has not yet received the fulfillment, the reality. And he keeps getting older and older and older, and so does his wife, Sarah. They have been barren throughout all of their married life. They've never brought one child into this world. And so they face this dilemma, on the one hand, the promises of God. On the other hand, their experience, which seems to teach them that they're not able to have a child. And so as the years went by and Abraham aged from his 70s into his 80s and eventually into his 90s and even to the age of 100 years old, they waited and waited and waited for God to do what he promised to do. This was a time of waiting. This was a time of tension. This was a time which was no doubt a burden on their old souls. And not only that, but they were living as strangers and pilgrims in the land of Canaan, surrounded by all kinds of wicked heathen nations. And there had just been a great battle in which his nephew Lot had been carried away captive by wicked kings, and Abram had to go and fetch him and rescue him. That's the context. A time of tension, a time of waiting, a time of turmoil. And so the Lord appeared to Abram in a vision, verse 1, and said to him, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. But when the Lord came to him in that comforting vision, and no doubt the Lord's purpose was not merely to say, Fear not, but to say what he would go on to say, Abram took the opportunity to pray, to speak to the Lord, to bring his urgent, fervent petition, the burden of his soul, to ask God about the thing God promised to give him. Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? All I have is this servant. Is this your will, that this servant would be my heir? You have given me no seed. The answer that the Lord gave to Abraham was a resounding no and a precious promise. Let's consider the text under the theme, Abraham promised a child of wonder. Notice first that he was promised a miracle. Secondly, he was justified by faith in the God of that promise and in the child that was promised. And finally, God gave him hope of an heir. The Lord answered Abraham's question with crisp clarity. He said to Abram, This, this Eliezer, shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, many of us, perhaps all of us who are married, know the joy 
that comes when we hear the news that we're going to have a child. The thrill of joy when we first learn that we're expecting. The thrill that we receive when we go to the doctor for the first time and the doctor confirms, yes, there's a little one in there. And come here, listen to his or her heartbeat. And we hear the heartbeat of that little child, so small, growing inside the womb. We all know what that thrill is like. We all know the joy and the wonder of the conception of a child in the womb and the birth of a child into this world. It's something that we do well to remind ourselves often that this is a wonder and a miracle that God himself has done. Now imagine the thrill of joy that must have filled the heart of that old man, now in his 80s, who with his wife Sarah has never been able to have a child, decade after decade after decade, and now he hears with crisp clarity the promise of the Lord, this shall not be thine heir, but one who comes forth from thine own bowels will be thine heir. A promise from none other than God himself. The news, the good news. You're going to have a child, Abraham. You're going to have a child. A boy. A son. After all these years. Crisp clarity. I say that because Abraham asked the Lord, what about my steward, Eliezer? Is it maybe thy will that Eliezer, this servant of Damascus, who is not my flesh and blood, but who is a faithful steward in my house, is it thy will that perhaps he will be my heir? And God says to him, not this one. Not this Eliezer. But you will have your own child, Abraham. God was clarifying to Abraham the promise he had made earlier when he said, I will make of you a great nation. I will multiply your seed like the dust of the earth, and I will give to them the land of Canaan. Now God says to Abraham, I want to clarify that to you, Abraham. I did not mean by that that you will be adopting Eliezer as your son, and that through Eliezer I will make you a great nation and multiply your seed. But what I meant with that promise is that I will give you a child, your own child, from your own flesh and blood, from your own body, to hold in your arms as a little baby, to treasure, to love, to raise, to train up in your covenant home. That's what I promise to give you. He was promising to do an extraordinary miracle. He was promising to do something that was, humanly speaking, utterly impossible. He was saying to Abraham, I promise to conceive a child through you, old man, and through your wife in her barren womb that has never given birth all these years. The text does not mention Sarah. Maybe you noticed that. God is speaking here to Abraham in a vision. 
And he doesn't actually mention Sarah in this promise. He's only speaking to Abraham that he will give a child of his own bowels or of his own body. But Abraham should have known when God gave that promise that God meant by that promise to you and Sarah. Sarah was his wife, his only wife. He had no other wife. Abraham should have known. And at this moment, he did know that. He did believe that. He did understand that. But as we know, later on in the history, he doubted as he left his 80s and entered into his 90s. The questions returned and Sarah and he schemed together and he went in onto Hagar in an attempt to help God along. But what God was promising to Abraham was through you and Sarah, you, you my old beloved children whom I've never given a child before, I'm going to do a wonder. I'm going to do something extraordinary. I'm going to give you conception and birth. What was extraordinary and wondrous was not only conception and birth, but as we have seen already this afternoon, that's already a a miracle. That's already a tremendous divine work. But what God was promising to do was to give conception to this old man and his old wife who was barren. The scriptures specifically say she was barren. She was not, from a human point of view, able to have children. Probably the reason God made them wait so many years was that he wanted them to realize the utter impossibility of the birth of this child from a human point of view. He wanted them to realize that they were not able to bring forth this child of promise, this child of wonder, this child who was so crucial, so important in the history of redemption, because this child would carry the torch of the hope of salvation for all mankind. This child would carry in himself the seed who would be the Messiah, who would bring salvation to the nations. It was critical that this child be born, but God wanted Abraham and Sarah to know, and he wants us to know, they could do nothing in their power to bring forth this child. It is a miracle, a wonder of God. What God promised to Abraham that day in that vision, we have to see from our perspective was also and more the promise of another child of wonder. The child of wonder. When God promised Abraham to give him a child in old age, something that they were not able to do, something utterly impossible, God was promising to Abraham to give him the seed. The child. The one who would come from Isaac many centuries later. He was promising to do something humanly impossible to bring forth into the world the child of promise, the Messiah. Many centuries later, God would speak 
this promise crisp and clear through the angel Gabriel to the woman. The woman who was a daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A woman who was in the line of David. A woman espoused to a man named Joseph. A woman by the name of Mary. God sent Gabriel to Nazareth where Mary grew up. And Gabriel appeared to her and said this promise of God to her in Luke chapter 1. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Mary was stunned by that message of the angel. And she asked him, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And Gabriel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And he added this, For with God nothing shall be impossible. The scriptures reveal Jehovah of hosts as the God of wonders, the God of marvels, of miracles, the God who does things that we cannot do, the God who does things that we consider utterly impossible and who delights to do those things, to fill our hearts with wonder and so that we will give all the glory, praise, and honor to him. When God spoke that promise to Abraham, he was promising Abraham and all of his people that he would do the greatest miracle of all. It was a great miracle that he promised to do, to give a child, a son, to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. But still, God would do that miracle through a man and a woman a husband and his wife coming together, a male seed and a female seed. But the greater miracle, the greatest miracle of all, is that God would conceive a child in the womb of a virgin, of the flesh and blood of Mary, without the involvement of a single man. Because this child would not just be a human like Isaac, but he would be Emmanuel. God would speak this promise through the prophet Isaiah many centuries later, chapter 7, verse 14, when Isaiah said to King Ahaz, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. This child conceived and born of the virgin will be none other than God himself with us in human flesh. That's the wonder of all wonders, the incarnation of the Son of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This is what God promised to do to Mary and in her. God promised to do what she knew was utterly impossible. For God to become man in her womb and to come into this world. Imagine 
the joy that she must have felt when she heard the news of the birth of that child. She sang a song of glory to God in Luke chapter 1. We must notice something else in the promise that God made to Abraham, and that's verse 5 of our text. We read that God brought Abraham forth abroad. The idea is that Abraham was inside his tent. Probably that's where he received the vision in his tent. And now God brings him out of the tent. And it must have been nighttime. The sky was dark. And God said to Abraham, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, or count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now you have to just imagine what the sky looked like at nighttime there in the plains of Mamre, long before the modern era in which we have electricity powering lights in the towns and cities so that it clouds the heavens at night with light and we're not able to see as many stars. You have to remember a time when no doubt all of you have gone out into a darker place, far from the city lights, and in the middle of the night looked up at that night sky. That's what Abraham looked up at every night. God brought him out of his tent and said, Look up, look, Abraham. Look at the heavens. Look at the stars. Imagine what he saw. Thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. He could see as many stars as was possible to see without the electricity and the lights of a town that we know of so well today. He could see them all shining, twinkling brightly in the sky. So shall thy seed be. Abraham, try to count those stars. See if you can count them. Just make a beginning. One, two, three, four. There's no way. There's no way I could count all those stars. If I spent the rest of my life, I would not be able to count all of them. So shall thy seed be. And now just think of what we have come to learn in our modern world with the invention of telescopes, which are able to look into deep space. And we've come to understand there aren't just thousands or tens of thousands of stars in the night sky, but there are billions and billions of stars in the universe around us. And what God said to Abraham was, so shall thy seed be, Abraham. And God didn't mean to say that there are an infinite number of children that will come forth from you, but there are an innumerable amount of children that will come forth from you. Innumerable, not infinite. There's a limited number. There's an exact and specific number, but only God knows that number. As for us, we are not able to count them. They are so numerous. So shall thy seed be. He had made a similar promise before. The dust of the earth. See if you can count the dust of the earth. Pick up a handful and start to count the grains of dust. And now multiply that times all the dust of the earth. Later, he will add a third 
analogy and say, like the sand on the seashore, Abraham, go to the sea and pick up a handful of sand and start to count the grains. So shall thy seed be. What a wondrous promise this was. Imagine the joy, the the thrill, the wonder that must have filled Abraham's heart as he realized God is not only promising to give me a single child, but through that child to multiply my seed to an innumerable host. God was promising to make Abraham and Sarah into a great nation, to multiply their offspring through Isaac and through Jacob and through the twelve patriarchs. And God fulfilled that promise in the Old Testament. We read in Deuteronomy 1, verses 10 and 11, As the Israelites were about to enter into the land of Canaan, Moses said to them, The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. He multiplied the seed of Abraham into a nation of hundreds and thousands of people. But even that could not have been the fulfillment of the promise because they counted that nation. They counted them twice. They knew the exact number of men who were going into the land of Canaan. But God said, your seed will be like the stars of heaven. You won't be able to count them. And it's because God didn't merely fulfill this promise in making the nation of Israel. He doesn't merely mean the physical seed of Abraham. But he means the spiritual seed. He would make Abraham a father of many nations. God is still fulfilling this promise today. He fulfills it through the gospel that goes out into all the nations of the world and brings people to faith in God and in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He began that in the New Testament. Remember the wise men of the East? The Magi? They looked up into the sky every day. They looked up at those stars. They probably tried to count them. They tried to arrange them and understand the stars. But one day they saw a star of greater brilliance. Gentiles, wise men from the East, And they followed that star as it moved through the sky, from the east to the west, all the way to Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem they saw the child of wonder to whom that star pointed, the star that rose out of Jacob, the baby Jesus. Because God's promise to Abraham was to make him the father of all who believe. God continues to bring forth the stars that he promised. The stars that he knows in his decree of election. And until that time when every single star has been made to shine through the word and spirit, the history of the world will continue. But when the last star shines, 
the end will come. We are told in our text that when Abraham heard these wondrous promises of God, verse 6, he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. The student of Scripture perks up his ears when he hears that text. His ears perk up because he has heard that text before somewhere. It sounds familiar. And that's because it is mentioned elsewhere in the Scripture. It's mentioned in the New Testament in more place than one. It's mentioned in the book of Romans chapter 4 and again in Galatians chapter 3. And the student of Scripture directs his mind to that New Testament Scripture, which helps him to understand the Old Testament Scripture. And he realizes that the Holy Spirit himself is explaining Scripture with Scripture. And so, when he comes to this text and he reads that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness, he doesn't bring some strange interpretation into that text, but he takes hold of the Spirit's own interpretation through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And the light dawns in his heart of what the Lord is saying in this verse. He believed in the Lord. Abraham believed in Jehovah, and Jehovah counted it to him for righteousness. First of all, let's notice that Abraham believed in the Lord. Abraham was not skeptical. Abraham was not cynical. Abraham did not dismiss and disregard that promise of God as if it was nonsense, as if he knew better, as if it couldn't possibly happen that an old man like me and my barren wife bring forth a child into this world. But Abraham believed. He believed in the Lord. He believed what the Lord said. He believed the word of the Lord. He believed the promise of the Lord. It means he believed that the Lord meant what he said. He believed that the Lord wasn't deceiving him. The Lord wasn't tricking him. The Lord wasn't making this up. The Lord wasn't about to to trick him, but that the Lord was telling the truth and the Lord was really going to do what he said he was going to do. He believed that. He believed that his seed was going to be multiplied like the stars. That's not all. He believed in the Lord, the text says. He believed in the Lord. And that idea is not just that he believed what the Lord said, but that he trusted in the Lord to do what he said. He relied on God. He rested in God. He found all his hope in God, not in himself. He believed in the Lord and put all of his hope in him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 4, verses 18 through 22. 
that Abraham against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promises through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. He believed. Do you believe? Do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe? that he really means what he says in the scriptures to you. That he really will do what he says he will do. That he will do things which seem utterly impossible to our minds. Let us not stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. Let us not waver, but like Abraham, let us be strong in faith and give glory to God as the God of wonders the God of miracles, who is able to do far exceedingly above all that we can imagine or think. Abraham believed in the Lord, and then secondly, he counted it to him for righteousness. As I said earlier, if we just focus on this text all by itself and we don't look at the rest of Scripture, we could give A mistaken interpretation. Maybe we would look at the text and say, well, is Moses saying that Abraham counted it to God for righteousness? Abraham believed in the Lord and Abraham counted it to the Lord for righteousness? As if the meaning is Abraham declared that God is righteous. Is that what it means? No. That's all true. God is righteous. Abraham knew that God was righteous, but the Apostle Paul tells us what it means. The one counting something is not Abraham counting something to God, but God counting something to Abraham. God counted it to Abraham for righteousness. What the Apostle Paul teaches us is that this scripture here is one of the mighty Old Testament texts that teaches the truth that we are justified by faith. The great truth of Scripture. It's not just a New Testament truth. It's an Old Testament truth. It's a universal truth. We are justified by faith and by faith alone, not by the works of the law whatsoever. Abraham believed in the Lord. And believing in the Lord, he was justified. Justified by faith. And what the Apostle Paul shows us is that Abraham believed in the Lord and was justified by faith even before he was circumcised. In the days of Paul, many people were saying, you have to be circumcised or you cannot be saved. Throughout history, many have said, you have to do the works of the law or you cannot be justified. The apostle says, no, Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. 
before God gave the law. Long before. 400 plus years before. Abraham believed. And the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. But what exactly does that mean? The Lord counted it to him for righteousness. That is, the Lord counted his faith to him, his believing, for righteousness. That doesn't mean that the Lord looked at Abraham and looked at his faith and looked at his belief and God said, good enough. That'll do. I won't require obedience. I won't require righteousness. I will just accept your faith. Your faith is sufficient. That's a good enough substitute. I have my law. My law is, requires perfect obedience. But Abraham, I see your faith. You have faith. That's good. And that's good enough. I count you righteous for your faith. I count your faith as a substitute for righteousness. That's the Arminian view. But that's not the idea. That's not the Apostle Paul's understanding of the text. That's not the Reformed understanding of the text. The the proper understanding of the text is that God saw Abraham with his faith, believing in God, a faith which God himself worked in Abraham's heart, a faith which God himself gave to him. And God saw that that faith was a true and living faith that connected him to the child of promise. God saw that genuine faith of Abraham by which he believed God. He believed the promise of God. And when Abraham believed the promise of God, he believed the child who was promised. Not just Isaac, but the true child, the Messiah, the Savior who is Christ the Lord, who was to be born in Bethlehem, whom Isaac carried within himself, the seed Abraham believed in that seed, a child of promise. And by faith, he was justified. Justified. God counted it to him for righteousness. Not because the faith was so good, but because the faith connected him to Christ, and Christ was his righteousness. Christ, the child of wonder. Christ would be his righteousness because Christ, who would come into the world, born of the virgin, would live a perfect life, would keep all of God's commandments perfectly, would obey perfectly all the way to the death of the cross, and would be hung on the cross, crucified, cursed, under the wrath of God for the sins that Abraham committed, the sins that you've committed, sins that I've committed. And so we cannot be righteous by our works, by our obedience, but only by faith. Abraham believed. He believed in God. He believed in Christ. And he was justified by faith. By faith. God never accepts a substitute for true righteousness. There's no substitute. There must be righteousness. That's why I say, God didn't look at the faith and say, that's a good enough substitute. No, 
But God looked at the faith and he saw that through that faith, Abraham was connected to Christ. There's the righteousness that is needed. And God took that righteousness that Christ would merit when he came onto the earth and imputed it to Abraham already hundreds of years before Christ was even born. That's the gospel of justification by faith. And God declares to us today, to us who believe in that same child of wonder, whose birth we celebrate this time of year, the babe of Bethlehem, the Christ child, the miracle, the wonder, greatest wonder of all, to us who believe in that child and lay hold upon him for our righteousness, God declares, I count it to you for righteousness. I consider you righteous in him. In Romans 4, at the end of that chapter, the apostle, after explaining this verse, he concludes that our text was not written for his sake alone, not just for Abraham. This isn't just about Abraham. That it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Believe on him. Believe. And you are righteous. And then you are an heir. You see, the great concern of Abraham at this time was to have an heir. As the Lord appeared to him in that vision, and Abraham spoke to him inside the tent, what did Abraham say? What wilt thou give me? I go childless. The steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. One born in my house is mine heir. He's mine heir. And the Lord said to him, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. What is an heir? An heir is a person who inherits something from someone. Abraham was a man who had great riches. Although he lived as a stranger and pilgrim in the land of Canaan, he had riches. He had gold and silver and cattle and flocks and herds and tents and servants. He had a great, great wealth. That was not his primary concern here. Not who is going to inherit all my flocks and herds and my gold and silver and tents and servants when I die, but his concern was, who, who, O Lord, who will inherit these promises? These promises. God had made promises to Abraham. Marvelous, wondrous promises. Who, who, O Lord, and the Lord said, I'll give you a son. He will be your heir. Isaac will be your heir. Jacob will be your heir. The twelve 
patriarchs will be your heir. The children of Israel will be your heir. But they were an heir of the promise. Think of it like this. God gave to Abraham a treasure chest. And that treasure chest was closed and locked. And it was full of the most precious riches you can imagine. He gave him that treasure chest. And now Abraham says, Lord, who will be my heir? Who will inherit this treasure chest? I will give you a son. He will inherit it from you. And he gave him a son. And Isaac inherited that treasure chest. It was passed on to him. And Isaac passed it on to Jacob. And Jacob passed it on to his 12 sons. And it was not until the children of Israel had wandered out of Egypt through the wilderness and they came across the Jordan River that finally God opened up that chest and they received the inheritance. They received a land flowing with milk and honey, vineyards that they did not plant, cities that they did not build, roads, a beautiful, well-prepared land as a free and gracious gift. But that was only a picture. Really, the treasure chest was still closed, still locked, and the inheritance was passed on from generation to generation to generation because the heir, the true heir of that promise, those promises, is the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, the one born of the Virgin Mary. He inherited that treasure. Now what is fascinating to see is that he is, first of all, the testator, the scripture says. He is God himself, the one promising the inheritance, the testator, And the testator must die before the inheritance can be received, the Bible says. So God, the testator, the promiser, had to come into the world and die so that the inheritance could be received. So he died on the cross. And then he became the heir. In his resurrection, he received the glorious riches, precious treasures inside that treasure chest of the promises of God. And he received them, not for himself only, but he received them as the firstfruits of all those stars, of all God's children, in every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. In Romans 8, verse 17, the apostle says that we are joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer together with him, that we may be glorified with him. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Galatians 3, verse 29, the apostle says that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are the heirs of those great treasures in and through Jesus Christ, 
being justified by faith, now we have the promises. The promise of that treasure in all of its fullness. Right now, God only, as it were, gives us one little nugget. And he says, and that's, that's a guarantee to you that I will give it all to you. He promises us the fullness of that treasure, the fullness of the inheritance, an incorruptible inheritance that cannot fade away. He's preparing a place for us right now, a place for us there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's preparing a place for us in the new world that is still to be created, the new world that is still to come, the fullness of the riches of the inheritance in that place where we will dwell with God in the true land of Canaan with all those stars. May that day come. Amen. Our Father, we give thanks to Thee for the promises, the precious and wondrous promises. We thank Thee for the scriptures which make known to us not just the promises, but also the wondrous fulfillments. So in this Christmas season, we pray that thou would fill our hearts again with wonder as we consider the birth of the babe of Bethlehem, the one whom thou hast sent to be the testator to die, that we might receive an everlasting inheritance. And we pray for his coming, that we might receive the fullness of that inheritance.